I'm officially out of the movie rambling request business, or so I thought I was, until I remembered that I still had one request left, and it was from my friend Alec who asked if I would ramble about the 2002 Brian De Palma film Femme Fatale. I said, sure thing, buddy, because it would be a good one to go out on. And it was a film I had already seen and watched, having seen it twice on opening weekend in the fall of 2002. And as luck would have it, the Alamo Drafthouse in downtown Los Angeles was about to have a 35mm screening of the film. And I thought, perfect, just in time for my ramblings about the film. Except this was February 2020, and it was no longer fear that was infectious. And what was over there was now coming over here. Priorities changed fast, and I felt that my time was better spent panic-stalking on food, water, and ammo, rather than jerking off about a movie for a friend. Wait, that didn't sound right. I don't mean I was literally jerking off for my friend. I mean, you know what, let's just move on. So, speaking from the relatively calmer waters of March 2021, I can say it's been one hell of a year, even for those who weren't personally affected by the virus that will not be named. And while it's certainly not over yet, at least, um, at least we can... Ah, I know. At least I won't have to shake anybody's hand anymore. I was never a fan of handshakes to begin with, partially because of my existing germophobia, and because I hate having to squeeze the other person's hand so hard, lest they think less of me. Silly me. I always thought you got to know somebody by how they treated people, and not by the strength of their grip. Sometimes I'd get someone practically crushing my hand with their grip, and then I'd have to respond by whipping out my dick to show them who's boss, which nine times out of ten would mean they were boss. So I'm done with handshakes forever. From now on, it's namaste and bowing. And if you don't like it, you can take that bigger cock of yours and go fuck yourself. From director Brian De Palma, master of the erotic thriller, comes a new suspense sensation. This top supermodel's wearing more than you'd think. Ten million in diamonds. This isn't a game tonight. People can die. Remember, no names and no guns. Go. The witch double-crossed us. She ran away with the diamonds. A little under four million. Not bad for a night's work, huh? Where are the diamonds? I know who you are. You know who Bruce Hewitt Watts is? The new American ambassador? He's got a wife, but no one seems to have a picture of her. So you want me to nail her, right? Nicholas Pardo? Speaking. You took a picture of Mrs. Watts? I don't I think you don't... realize who you're dealing with, Mr. Bardo. We know all about you. I have a past here. It only takes one photo. Are you flirting with me? Baby, there's one more thing we gotta do. She set me up for you guys to get me out of the way. That's what it's all about. Me disappearing. Two lives. The only thing missing is the ambassador's wife. Two worlds. Gonna make you jealous. Jealous. Yes. One woman. I'm a bad girl. Real bad. Femme Fatale.
The film opens with Billy Wilder's 1944 film noir classic Double Indemnity playing on the TV, and I always felt that showing a classic film within your film is a move as dicey as Andrew Clay. And more often than not, the unintentional result is that the viewer is reminded that there are better films out there that he or she could be spending their time on, rather than the film on which they're currently wasting their time. In the case of Femme Fatale, it works. Not that I feel they're equals, because I don't. Sorry, Bri, but I gotta go Team Wilder on this one. But what De Palma is doing by showing you a scene from that film is making it very clear to the viewer that he knows damn well that he's not reinventing the wheel, but rather doing his own spin on a genre. And by introducing the main character of his film watching that film, he's planting some seeds that will sprout big time by the end of Femme Fatale. And based on the constant liquid motif that runs throughout this picture, De Palma is watering the hell out of those seeds. And who is this main character anyway? Well, she's Laura Ash played by Rebecca Romaine, who is credited as Rebecca Romaine Stamos, on account of her being married to John Stamos at the time. She has since divorced Stamos and is currently married to Jerry O'Connell, and so now she goes by the name Rebecca Romaine Fat Kid from Stand By Me. So Laura is introduced watching Double Indemnity in her hotel room, but is then interrupted by a dude who turns out to be her partner in a heist that they are about to pull off at the Cannes Film Festival, located conveniently across the street. What follows is a 15-minute sequence that I feel fits very comfortably among De Palma's best set pieces. It takes place during a movie premiere, and it involves Laura, her partners in crime Racine and Black Tie, and a model named Veronica, who is wearing a gold and diamond number that, uh... I don't know if it qualifies as a top or it's just a piece of jewelry, but whatever it is, it leaves very little to the imagination as far as tits go. It's like, I guess I'm left to imagine what her nipples look like. But aside from that, I can draw this chick from memory. It would be a stick figure with long hair. I never said I was Bazila. The movie being screened at this premiere is the 1999 film East West, directed by Regis Vanier and starring Sandrine Bonnard. And I guess De Palma is a fan of this movie about Russian expats returning to Soviet Russia only to realize you really can't ever go home again. Whatever the case, both Bonnard and Varnier appear as themselves in the film. And I like to imagine De Palma telling Varnier about his idea to include him in this movie where he's going to play a dude who is unknowingly cucked by a tall blonde. See, Veronica is Varnier's date at the premiere, and Laura's part in the plan involves seducing her away from the director so they can have some wee time in the ladies' room. And so, Varnier's left in the screening room, watching his film play to a captivated audience. But what's the point when you don't have a sexy broad sitting next to you to impress with such an experience? This poor man was depending on the thunderous applause to get this chick wet, thereby doing half of the work for him, and thereby making it easier to slip in the sasisa later that night. Instead, he can only politely smile at his leading lady, Bonnard, who he either already banged during the making of his movie, or he fucked it up and got friend-zoned somewhere along the way. And now he can only sit impatiently while both Veronica and Laura are in the restroom, diking out harder than a couple of Tegan and Sarah fans hopped up on ecstasy. And while Veronica is caught up in the rapture of lady love, Laura slowly strips the diamond-encrusted coils away from the model and drops them to the floor while Black Tie waits in the next stall to swipe it all away. It's all hypnotically shot by Luc Besson's regular cinematographer Thierry Arbogast, and it's lushly scored by composer Ryuichi Sakamoto, who is doing a little bit of swiping of his own with a track that sounds very much like Ravel's Bolero.
While there is dialogue spoken during this sequence, the visuals are strong enough that one could watch this with the sound off and understand it 100%, as with most of De Palma's best sequences. One would understand the various actions and reactions by the perpetrators and victims of this heist, and one would definitely understand that both Romain and the actress playing Veronica, Rhea Rasmussen, are absolute goddamn smoke shows here. By the way, let's get this straight. With the constant fetishistic lensing of women and their gyrating bodies and lovingly filmed lips against other female lips, this movie is male gaze as fuck. And as a pig with a penis, I have no problem with it whatsoever. But if you have a problem with it, well, there are plenty of places on the internet to go pitch a fit and bitch about it. As for me, I'm just going to sit back and laugh and thank God I'm part of the patriarchy because... Suffice it to say, things don't go as planned, blood is spilled, and even worse, names are called. It ends with Lara skipping off with the diamonds, while a bleeding black tie informs his partner about this betrayal over the radio mic, telling him something in French that the subtitles translate as, The bitched double-crossed us. Now that's not a mistake on my part. That's how it's spelled in the subtitles. B-I-T-C-H-E-D, as in someone having complained in the past tense. I wonder if De Palma meant bitch. B-I-T-C-H, but there was a mistake with the subtitle people. But then I thought, really? I mean, De Palma comes off as someone who'd be a bit of an exacting perfectionist in his work. Would he allow such an obvious error to slip by? Hell, it didn't so much slip as it fucking did a Michigan J Frog, hello my baby, dance across the stage. I've seen it spelled this way in the 35mm prints I watched, it's spelled this way in the Region 1 DVD from Warner Brothers, and it's spelled this way in the version I watched last weekend on HBO Max. No, it can't be a mistake. It must be intentional, I thought. And so I looked up other uses and definitions for bitched. And here's what I found as the top definition on Urban Dictionary. Bitched. When a person gets punked by another person in any type of situation, usually when it comes to respect. Example. Tony walks in the mall and is with his friend and another guy bumps into him and it's the other guy's fault. The stranger looks at Tony and tells him to watch where he's going. Tony's friend looks at him and says, Damn, nigga, you just got bitched. Uh, okay, so maybe it was a mistake. A lot of femme fatale's fun comes from not knowing where it's going and tripping out when it gets there. Granted, this film came out in 2002, and that's enough for me to recite my standard sarcastic asshole routine about how I don't want to spoil a film that is now old enough to vote. But this certainly wasn't some blockbuster movie that took the world by storm that everybody quotes from, nor was it spoofed in one of those scary movies or one of those Seltzer Friedberg pieces of shit. This movie bombed, and it was pretty much forgotten except by film geeks and maybe Mr. Skin types. So I won't get into it in any further detail that could potentially spoil it. But the funny thing is, there is an alternate trailer for it that rather cleverly spoils the entire film if you pay super close attention. It plays nearly the entire film from beginning to end in very fast motion, occasionally stopping for a moment at regular speed before speeding up again. And it goes all the way like this to the end credits. It's one of my favorite movie trailers and you can find it online. Anyway, skipping some plot developments here and there, we jump ahead seven years, and the men Laura double-crossed are back on the search for her, and more importantly, the diamonds. We are then introduced to a photographer played by Antonio Banderas. His name is Nicholas Bardo, no relation to Brick, and he's not so much out of work as he's just not really looking for it. After a phone call from his manager, voiced by an uncredited John Stamos, he takes a quick cash gig where all he has to do is take a photo of an ambassador's wife. This leads to Bardo making the acquaintance of Laura Ash, who is trying to lay low in an airport hotel. 
Bardo, thinking himself quite the slickster, barges into her room, taking on the guise of a very effeminate man. <coughs> Are you all right? <coughs> I think I think I think I can help you. I've been working in the hospital for a couple of years. I'm kind of a candy striper myself. Just sit down over here. Give me your arms. Just put, put them up. Just lay this and relax, relax, and breathe, breathe and relax. And now listen to me. Listen to me. Good. I know, because I know, I have been accused of having an overactive imagination, you know. But when a classy woman like yourself checks into our airport hotel in the middle of the morning with a bunch of bullets and a gun, there's only one word that follows. What word? Bang. Some may find this portrayal offensive, and these same people may also find themselves unable to comfortably sit down for the rest of their lives on account of the excruciating pain emanating from their backsides. Wait, I'm afraid that didn't come out right. I was trying to say that these people are butthurt, but not like something caused them to have a sore ass such as an uncomfortable chair or a leather man's fist. And I'm certainly not making the connection that the kind of people that would have a literally hurt butt would be the ones to get offended. I mean, just, I'm talking about overly sensitive types. That's, I, uh, I'm saying like, oh my God. First I quoted the N word. Now I'm implying that the homos can't take a joke. Please don't cancel me. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Antonio Banderas, Antonio Banderas worked with Pedro Almodovar before Femme Fatale, and he's continued to work with him after Femme Fatale, so I'm sure it's all good. As Bardo, Banderas plays someone who has probably gone through life being crafty in both the literal and figurative sense. As a part-time paparazzo, he knows all the tricks in getting the perfect shot from those who'd rather not have their picture taken. And he also has this giant collage of photos on his apartment wall, forming one giant landscape of the view outside his window. But soon Bardo finds himself in over his head, and it becomes increasingly clear that he is going up against someone craftier than he is, and who looks a lot better in a pair of panties. Or so I assume. For all I know, that sexy Spanish stallion might rock a French cut like nobody's business. But until I actually see that, and God knows I've tried, I will have to give the advantage to Laura. The second half of the film becomes a Parisian journey for Bardo in and out of sterile hotel rooms, standard police stations, and seedy night spots. I'm not kidding about those seedy night spots, by the way. I mean, one of the patrons at a scuzzy bar full of drunken horned-up Frenchmen is none other than Letenia from Gaspar Noé's Irreversible, so you know it's gotta be bad. Despite not being given any moments of what my friend Alec and I would refer to as pure unadulterated banderas, which are basically moments where he hams it up. You know, today's my birthday. Today I become number one. I see that you are not better than he is. The same shit. Banderas is very well cast and game for a role that requires no trace of ego, as his character finds himself increasingly humbled. A role like Bardo could be ruined by some actors who would try to maintain too much strength throughout. Plus, going back to ego, there are more than a few scenes where it's very clear that Rebecca Romaine has a good three or four inches of height on the dude. I love that, because more often than not, Hollywood does that thing where they always have to make the shorter male actor appear to be as tall as his female co-star, or worse, taller. Because I guess the average moviegoer isn't ready for that idea, that women can be possibly taller than men. So points to Banderas and points to De Palma for not giving a fuck about Romaine looking like she could easily cradle Banderas and rock him to sleep. And I say this as someone who pays women to rock him to sleep. 
Don't king shame me. Of course, the tall women slash short man visual helps to further sell the idea that Banderas's character is outmatched compared to Laura Ash, but I feel that's more of an unintentional bonus that was realized after the leads were cast in these roles. Banderas is great as the schmuck, and Romaine is very good as the titular femme, doing a fine job with either being conniving or just simply not giving a fuck. Although, to be honest with you, I actually thought she did a better job at playing hurt or fragile, and it left me wanting to give her a hug. And not the kind of hug that I already want to give her. You know, a hug that allows me to perv out while feeling her body against mine while I smell her and all that. No, I mean, like a genuine hug of warmth and compassion. Or so I've been told about such hugs, if such hugs actually exist. Not that it matters, because if I'm not doing handshakes, that means hugs are out the window as well. Because while you motherfuckers are trying to go back to normal, I'm prepped for the new normal. I'm talking about Demolition Man for real, which I knew was coming. I didn't go around saying, be well, all this time for shits and giggles, you know. I'm not as well versed in Rebecca Romaine's roles as an actor. Most of what I've seen her in is during the late 90s and early 2000s. I know her as Mystique from the X-Men movies, and I know her as the bearded lady from Dirty Work, and I know her from that Rollerball remake and the audio commentary she did on said Rollerball remake. I had nothing to say about that except for twat and twat. pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, twat, pussy, and ass. So this rewatch reminded me to search out any other movies where she shows a more vulnerable side because I think that's what she does best. I'm a bad girl, Nicholas. Real bad. Rotten to the heart. Last scrape I was in, I fucked up a lot of people. Bad people, people like me. People that don't forget. But I was given a second chance. So I went back to the States where I got everything a bad girl ever wanted. Something staring me in the face this whole time that I'm just noticing now is that Romaine's current husband, Jerry O'Connell, was in De Palma's previous film to this one, Mission to Mars. And at the time, Banderas was married to Melanie Griffith, who had worked with De Palma in both Body Double and The Bonfire of the Vanities. I don't know what my point is, other than some random trivia with which to pat out these ramblings. But I guess they've all compared working with Brian De Palma stories at some time or another, I'm sure. Anyway, this is just all a long way to say that I've always really liked the film. It never tops its opening set piece, but that's because it's really the only set piece, and it's kind of a ballsy move by De Palma, as if he were saying, okay, normally this is what a movie leads to, but I'm just going to go ahead and start with it, and then you're going to stick around to see what happens next, because I'm going to rock your world in a completely different kind of way. And he does. That opening heist precedes a fun, sexy, and twisty joint, complete with the usual audacious De Palma touches here and there, both in the screenplay and in the way he presents these scenes. They're split-screen, slow-motion, hypnotic camera movements, giddy splashes of blood, tits and ass, Greg Henry, and just the general overall feeling that De Palma is gleefully fucking with you, the viewer, the entire time. And you either go with it and enjoy the ride, or you feel strongly negative about the experience. In other words, it's 100% pure Brian De Palma, in the same way that films like Blowout and Raising Cain are 100% pure De Palma. Movies like The Untouchables and Mission Impossible, as awesome as they are, they're more like 70-80% to 80% pure De Palma. Femme Fatale is also probably the last solid film, pure or otherwise, that De Palma has made, at least as of this foul year of our Lord, 2021. I remember liking his following film, The Black Dahlia, in 2006, but I also remember making a lot of excuses for it. Then came his 2007 found-footage Iraq war movie, Redacted, which wasn't my cup of tea. 
Then I saw his 2019 film Domino, which felt less like a real movie and more like the pilot for an internationally produced television series, the kind that plays in syndication on weekend afternoons. I've yet to see his 2012 film Passion, and so I hope that when I finally get around to that one, it will feel more like the De Palma I know and love. And if not, well, you can't have everything, right? Well, I don't have anything else to say, so instead I'm going to close out by catching up on some comments and email from my fans. Uh, because I haven't posted anything since December 2019. Not like a real rambling anyway. Um, so I'm sure I got a lot of people out there who w- wanted to stay in touch with me. So here we go. The first comment is regarding my uh, post on the film Righteous Kill starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. And that was way back in 2009. Wow. And uh, this comment was left on my WordPress uh, site. That's uh, the same thing as the blogger site. Um, just it's a backup. Anyway, the comment is from a guy named George, and he says, Moron Millennial. Okay, cool. He's clearly referencing the skater character in Righteous Kill, who was played by Rob Deerdeck. And um, that guy certainly was a moron, but I think he's a, he was a few years too old to be considered a millennial. Uh, but I get where you're coming from, George, and I appreciate the comment. Next, I have a comment left on my Instagram, and that's where I leave like much shorter ramblings on movies, whatever I watch that day. And uh, you can find me there at uh, EF Contentment, all one word. And uh, this comment is regarding my recent post on the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film Punch Drunk Love, uh, starring Adam Sandler. Uh, that actually came out the same year as Femme Fatale, 2002. And it was a good year for movies. Um, so, anyway, this is the comment. He says the following. WTF does this have to do with anything? Give a review or don't. I don't give a shit about this personal life crap. Okay. Um, Well, I don't think Anderson was doing a review on Adam Sandler's character, but more of a study, you know, character study. And I felt it was a very interesting study on an emotionally fragile human being who was able to find a meaningful connection with a lady who was able to understand him. And what you refer to as personal life crap I call the intriguing drama that comes from Sandler's day-to-day interactions with others as he tries not to get emotionally overwhelmed. Um, Anyway, thanks for the comment. Oh, and I almost forgot. In regards to your opening question, uh, WTF, does this have to do with anything? Uh, No, the WTF podcast with Mark Maron has nothing to do with this blog, but I sure wish it did. (laughs) That'd be awesome. And finally, I have an email sent to me by a Jonathan Baker, and it's titled, the subject line is, it's all one word. It's uh, Amy Adams is my waifu. And hmm, that sounds familiar. And it says, uh, give me a second here. I am aware Amy Adams is my waifu is one of your passwords. I actually placed the malware on the adult videos, pornography, website. And when you were watching video clips, your web browser started working as a remote controlled desktop, which provided me accessibility to your screen and also webcam. After that, I created a video. First part displays the video you were viewing, and in parentheses he put, you have a very nice taste, my friend. And second part shows the recording of your webcam, and it is you. First alternative is to ignore this email. In such a case, I will send out your very own video clip to all your contacts and then consider concerning the humiliation you will see, and definitely if you are in a romantic relationship, just how it will certainly affect... There's a question mark at the end there. Second option would be to compensate me $2,988. Let's refer to it as a donation. Then I most certainly will straight away erase your video. 
you will make the payment through Bitcoin. Address to send to, and then he left the address there, and it says, case-sensitive copy and paste it. This email cannot be traced back to me. If I do not get the Bitcoin, I will send your video to all of your contacts, including relatives, co-workers, and so forth. It is a non-negotiable offer. Therefore, don't waste my personal time and yours by responding to this email message. Uh, okay, so I won't respond. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, thanks for reading, Jonathan, and um, th thanks for listening, guys. And if you'll excuse me, I'm off to the bank. This has been the Exiles from Contentment podcast, recorded live in front of an empty room. Exiles from Contentment has been brought to you by anger, paranoia, resentment, depression, low self-esteem, and rally cigarettes, now with less nicotine and less throat irritants. Remember, lady and gentlemen, if your cigarette tastes different, smoke rally. Episodes of this podcast can be downloaded at efcontentment.podbean.com. That's E as in EGADS. This asshole's podcast is terrible. F as in fuck this asshole's terrible podcast. Contentment as in something this asshole hasn't felt in a very long time. Dot pod as in podcast as in everybody's got their own goddamn podcast nowadays. And bean as in what the Mexican-American host of this podcast probably eats every day. Am I right, real Americans? The Exiles from Contentment podcast can also be downloaded at exiledfromcontentment.blogspot.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as EF Contentment, all one word. Follow or friend us so we can then immediately have your tweets and posts muted in order for us to have a higher friend and follower count while pretending that we care about you. You can also email us at exiledfromcontentment at gmail.com. Until our next ramblings, this is Princess Sparkle for the Exiled from Contentment podcast saying take care and be well.